Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. In this chapter, we focus uh, Daniel's friends. And they are in a really difficult situation, right? The last, the last, uh, last week we were left with Daniel being promoted to, you know, to being in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. He was, his, you know, basically his personal counselor. And uh, these three guys, they were also promoted to, to serving in the province of Babylon. So they, were, they had an important um, uh, position in Babylon. And so... Let's just read the passage. Let's see what happens. We have, a, we have a big problem here in this passage. And so let's read this story. I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providence, sorry, of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, uh, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? 
Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into, the, into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had, had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their, their own God. Therefore, I make a decree any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you for the instruction that you have left for us. We thank you for the faithfulness of these men, their resolve to worship you alone. And God, we pray that 
we would be able to learn from this passage, that we would be instructed, that we would be challenged and rebuked, and that we would be encouraged. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today. We pray for your name to be glorified. We pray for every people, nation, and language to worship you. And we know that that will happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So you probably noticed this passage is a little bit repetitive, or maybe more than a little bit, right? It repeats a lot. Things like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It repeats a lot. The image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up, the golden image to be exact, it repeats the instruments, it repeats, uh, uh, you know, the positions, the, 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 all the people in the king's cabinet. Um, and I think that, that the author of this book is being intentional, right? He's repeating all of these things to try to bring them to our attention. So what are some of the things that we learn from this repetition? Well, number one, there was a big emphasis on the image, the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. In this book, we see an interesting journey in Nebuchadnezzar's life, right? At the beginning, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, you know, and he is, he is he's scared about this dream, and he has no idea what the dream means. And then Daniel comes and, and tells him, I can tell you the interpretation of this dream. Uh, and Daniel basically, the, or the revelation that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar through this dream was basically telling him, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is great, but you need to understand that everything that you have has been given to you by God. Every single thing that you rule over, God has given it to you. You also need to understand that your kingdom is limited, right? In the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, there was a statue and the head of the statue was made of gold, but the rest of the statue had different was made out of different materials. And Daniel explains in the interpretation that this meant that, you know, basically his kingdom was limited. There were going to be other kingdoms that were going to come after Nebuchadnezzar. And so even though we don't know exactly what kind of image he built, I think it's a pretty safe assumption to say that, you know, maybe if we can speculate for a little bit, Imagine, I imagine that Nebuchadnezzar thought of this dream and he said, well, you know what? Daniel is telling me that God's kingdom is going to last forever, right? God's kingdom is eternal, but I want my kingdom to be eternal. I want my own kingdom to be the most powerful kingdom. And so it is interesting that the whole statue that he makes is made out of gold right? It almost like signifying like it's not only the head that is made out of gold, but everything in the statue is made out of gold to signify, I want my kingdom to be eternal. And then we don't know exactly what was the statue, but it wouldn't be crazy to suggest that maybe he made a statue of himself, right? I mean, this guy was so uh, uh, full of himself. He was so prideful. It is, it is kind of deceiving, right? Because at the end of last chapter, he kind of acknowledges God, right? He says you know, something about the God of Daniel. But the problem is that his heart was still sinful. He, his heart had been shaken, but it had not been renewed, right? He heard this dream. He was scared about the dream. He was excited about the revelation that was given to him, but his heart had not been transformed. 
And even at the end of this story that we're reading today, even though it looks like he acknowledged God, we still learn that his heart is not fully transformed. It takes more than that for him to soften his heart. But at this point, you know, he is drunk with power. He is obsessed with himself, with his kingdom. He makes this statue and he commands everyone to worship this statue, right? Another one of the things that we see repeated is all of these positions, right? The, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces. That includes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? That includes them. They are supposed to go and worship this golden image. So there's not really a lot of option. In fact, he says, uh, the herald in verse four proclaims, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, right? Nebuchadnezzar wants the worship of his own kingdom, the worship of himself to be universal. He wants everyone to worship him. So, you know, they play all of the instruments as, as the, they had announced. And all of these people, they worship this golden image. Now, we don't know exactly where the three guys were, right? I've seen some pictures on the internet, like maybe on like kids' books, where like everyone is bowing, bowing, bowing down and then you see three men standing. I don't know. I don't know if it was like that. I don't know if they didn't show up. I don't know exactly what happened. But the one thing that we see is that they didn't make a big deal about it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They were not announcing to the world, look how heroic we are. Look how we are resisting this madness of Nebuchadnezzar. They just, you know, they said, we're not going to worship this image and we're not going to make a fuss about it. And you see the same thing happening with Daniel, right? When, when Cyrus, three kings after, when Cyrus uh, forbids prayer to anyone other than the king, Daniel just goes about his day as normal and he goes and prays to God. So I would imagine that these three guys are doing the same thing. They're just going about their day and they are being faithful to God. But then we have a problem, right? The problem arises. We, we learn that there are some Chaldeans and these guys are, you know, uh, astrologists and, and uh, they, they, you know, they probably know some magic. They're, you know, they're powerful people. And we can only assume that they were jealous of, of these three guys, right? Because, I mean, they have been given a position of honor. They are, they are, um, they are officials of the, of the province of Babylon. And so they come and, and uh, tattle on them. They tell the king, they tell Nebuchadnezzar, you have told them to serve and worship. Now, the, you know, speaking about those words that are repeated, notice that the words serve and worship are repeated multiple times, right? And the point is that Nebuchadnezzar wants everyone to serve his gods and to worship the golden image. So this is, this is basically totalitarianism, right? Nebuchadnezzar is making it a, a, a mandate for the whole nation and, and for the whole Babylonian empire. He's making it mandatory for them to worship this pagan image and these pagan gods and so these men, the Chaldeans, come to the king and say, hey, there are three guys that are not obeying you. There are three guys that are not worshiping your gods and who are not, or who are not serving your gods and who are not worshiping the image.
So before we move on, right, before we talk a little bit about how they responded, I wanted us to think a little bit about, about ourselves. I think that, I don't know, maybe growing up or maybe even now, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, as a child, if you heard this story growing up, if you, you know, if you went to Sunday school when you were a kid or, or even now as we're reading this story, I think that our natural inclination is and should be, and I, I think that's right, to say, wow, I want to be faithful like these men. I want to be, whenever, if I ever have the chance to be faithful to God in something as big as this, I definitely want to be faithful to God, right? Well, there is a chance that we will never be in a situation of life and death per se, like, like they were. I'm not saying the possibilities are zero, but you know, I don't know that we will be in a place like they are. But one of the questions that I was, that I was thinking to myself is, well, If I want to know how I would do in this situation, I think it would be good to look at how I respond to the daily temptations that I'm faced with, right? This is a really big deal where they're called to worship this pagan God. And if they don't worship, they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And so again, I would like to think that if I'm faced, if I'm facing a situation like this, I would be faithful to God. But again, I need to think about how do I react to temptations on a daily basis? When I'm tempted with small things, when, when maybe the, the outcome of unfaithfulness would not be as bad, or sorry, when the outcome of faithfulness, of obedience to God would not be as bad as being thrown into the fire, right? When there is something way, way, way less at stake, am I faithful to God or do I fail? And I think if I fail, then I shouldn't expect to be faithful to God in the big things because I have not been able to be faithful in the little things. And so my point here is not, you know, not to be a, a downer. My point here is not for all of us to be like, oh yeah, we're terrible. We could never be like, we could never be like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What I want us to do is look at how they responded in this situation and just Look at what is it that made them be faithful to God so that we can learn from this and we can also be faithful to God in the trials that we will experience. Now, we will experience trials, right? Uh, Peter says in 2 Peter, I believe, he says, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that come. I'm paraphrasing, but basically the fiery trials that come to you. Oh, I think I have it here. Beloved, I urge you, this is 1 Peter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak, no, I feel like this is the wrong passage. Yeah, sorry, that's, that's a further passage, but basically Peter is saying, uh, in the passage that I'm thinking, that we should not be surprised when there is fiery trials that come our way. Trials are a normal part of Christian life. So let's look at how they responded, right? So they are brought into the presence of the king and the king is extremely angry. And he calls them in and says, I hear that you guys do not serve my gods and do not worship the image. So... 
basically, I'm going to give you one more opportunity. When you hear the sound of, you know, the lyre and the bagpipes and all of these instruments, you need to fall down and worship the image. And if you don't, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, notice, notice uh, uh, what he says in, at the end of verse 15. He says, second half of verse 15, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? And so I love their response. Their response is basically not a chance. We're not doing it. We're not, we're not even talking about this. It's, it, we're not doing it, right? They say in verse 16, or verse 16 reads, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter, right? They were absolutely resolute not to worship the image, right? And then they add in verse 17, if this be so, our God, and this is, notice that this is a direct response to the question that Nebuchadnezzar made, right? Nebuchadnezzar said, who is the God that will deliver you? And they say, our God, uh, where am I? 17, thank you. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire, from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So there are three things that I want to point out here about their faithfulness, about their motivation. What was it that motivated them to remain faithful to God? So the first thing that I see is that for them, worship of anything other than God was a non-negotiable, right? For them, they knew that they would not worship anything else. They knew that only God should be worshiped and nothing and no one else should be worshiped. And so I ask you and I ask you know, myself as well, do we have the conviction that nothing but God alone should be worshiped? If we do not have this conviction, then we're not going to do very well when faced with trials, right? If we do not have the condition that only God deserves our worship, our allegiance, if we have the conviction that God is the only one that can satisfy us, that God is the only one that we are created to worship, then we will fail into temptation. We will not remain faithful to God, right? Because if we are not fully convinced that God is the only one that can satisfy us, then whenever the next thing that comes that offers a little bit of satisfaction, then we will fall into it. We will worship it. Or whenever we're pressured to, you know, do something that we know we shouldn't be doing because we've uh, read in God's law, in, in the word of God that we shouldn't do, If we are not fully convinced that God deserves all of our worship, we will be an easy prey and we will fall. The second thing is that they had faith in God's promise. They had faith that God would deliver them. The passage that we read uh, at the beginning of this gathering, not the one in Mark, but the one in Isaiah, The book of Isaiah was written for the people who were going into exile. 
right? So I am sure that Daniel and his friends, they had the scrolls of the book of the prophet Isaiah, and they knew this promise by heart. They knew God's words in Isaiah 43, verse two, where it says, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt, nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, right? And then skipping at the end of that passage, I will, uh, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So they had the assurance that God would deliver them. God had promised that he was going to deliver his people and they did not question that for a moment. They knew that God was going to deliver them. And so the question for us then is, do we have that kind of faith and confidence in God? When we are faced with a situation, a difficult situation, where maybe the outcome of, of not falling into it would be bad for us, do we trust that God in his faithfulness and in his mercy will deliver us, right? If we don't, if we don't have faith that God will deliver us, then again, it's gonna be easy for us to fall into temptation, to fall into sin. Now, the third thing that I see here is that not only did they have faith in God's deliverance of them, but they also had faith that God had a purpose in everything that he did. So notice in verse 18, right? They are open to the possibility of God not delivering them from the fire. They say, but if not, right? If he doesn't deliver us from the fire, our God whom we serve is able to, oh, sorry. Verse 18, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Their view of God's deliverance was compatible with suffering, right? They understood that, yes, God had the power to deliver them, like physically deliver them from the fire. But they also knew that even if God did not deliver them physically from the fire, they trusted that God would deliver the people of Israel from, captive, from, from captivity in Babylon. They trusted that God's kingdom would be established no matter what, right? When they received that revelation of the dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar had, they knew that God's kingdom would stand forever. And so they knew that even if they go to the fire, even if they die burned by the fire, God's kingdom would continue. Is that the kind of conviction that we have about God's deliverance? Or at the very first moment that we experience a little bit of suffering, we give up, right? God, God is sovereign. God has a perfect plan for the world. And we know that he is establishing his kingdom. We know that he will deliver, ultimately deliver all of his people. But that doesn't mean that we are not going to go through suffering. In fact, like the passage that I terribly misquoted, we should expect suffering. We should expect trials. But we also need to remember that God is faithful to his promise. I think that they, they you know, in, in Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, this passage is very uh, familiar to a lot of people. Hebrews 11 talks about the heroes of the faith. And it's talking about 
a lot of people from the Old Testament. And Hebrews actually dedicates a line to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when it says that some of them were even delivered from fire. Or, oh man, I, I need to put my references here because I feel like I'm botching a lot of them. Um, let me, well, yeah, it's going to take too long. But uh, one of the things that is said of all of these people in Hebrews is that they knew that God was building for them a city that was heavenly. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that even if they didn't prosper in Babylon, even if they were killed in the fiery furnace, they knew that God was preparing for them a heavenly city. They knew that God had promised them a kingdom. And so that helped them. That was their motivation for remaining faithful. So in the rest of the story, we see that God act, God does deliver them from the fire, right? It's, it, uh, they are thrown into the fire. The fire furnace is, is uh, heated seven times. It is so hot that even the guys that throw them in die. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are, you know, fall into the burning fiery furnace. And then we see Nebuchadnezzar, who is absolutely astonished. He rose up in haste, verse 24, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Uh, does anybody here know what is celebrated on May 4th? It's Star Wars Day, right? I mean, if you're, I guess if you're kind of a nerd, it is Star Wars Day. Well, I, I saw a meme, an image on, on the internet, where on, on May 4th that said, may the 4th be with you. But it had an image of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so I was really excited because they made it not about Star Wars, but they made it about this passage. And ultimately, that's what all of us want, right? We want the fourth to be with us. We want God's messenger to be with us. Now, a lot of time has, has uh, been spent discussing, well, was this an angel? Was this a pre-incarnate epiphany of Jesus? We don't know. We don't know. There's really not enough evidence in the passage to go either way. What we do know for sure, and, and, and this doesn't change it at all, what we do know for sure is that God was with them, right? God sent his messenger to deliver them. God was faithful to them. He was right there with them. And so we also have that promise. We have the promise that God is with us, right? Remember, what were the words that Jesus said after his resurrection to the disciples? He said, I am always with you to the end of the age. God is with us through his Holy Spirit. Now, again, we don't know if this fourth messenger was either an angel or Jesus, but we do know that God sent his son Jesus to suffer the fiery trial for us. Right, he went 
to the cross. Jesus went to the cross. And this time, God did not send a messenger to deliver him. Right? He could have sent angels. He could have sent legions of angels to deliver Jesus. But he didn't. In fact, at the crucifixion, as Jesus is on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so think about that. You know, I've given us motivation for remaining faithful to God, but this is ultimately the motivation for remaining faithful to God. The motivation is that God sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus went to the cross. And when God could have sent a legion of angels, he didn't. And Jesus was forsaken on the cross and he died in our place for our sins. He died in our place for our unfaithfulness. I began this this sermon by talking about how uh, we all should aspire to be like Daniel and we should aspire to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But if we're honest, we're not. If we're honest, we are unfaithful to God. We fail him over and over, right? The passage that I read at the beginning of the gathering in Mark, we are like that guy that ran away naked. We are like Peter that denied Jesus. And that's why we are so extremely grateful that Jesus went to the cross and he was not delivered from the cross, but he took the Father's wrath upon himself so that we would not have to endure the wrath of the Father. And after doing that, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit and he is now with us. Jesus, the one who gave his life for us, is with us through his Holy Spirit. And one of the huge advantages of having the Holy Spirit is that he is empowering us to remain faithful to God in the midst of trials. So I... I, I want us to finish and and we're going to take communion here in a moment, but I want us to, I want to finish just by thinking about this phrase. Once they come out of the fiery furnace, right? It says that they're not burned. Their cloaks are not even harmed, not even a smell of fire. And so Nebuchadnezzar blesses God, right? He has no other option but to bless God. Now make no mistake. He's not repentant yet. He's not transformed, but he, He is seeing a huge miracle. And notice what he says about them. He says, Blessed be the, verse 28, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. And then, He promoted them. He made a decree that any people, nation, and language that spoke anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be torn limb from limb. Their houses laid in ruins. So again, there's not full transformation, but he's still, you know, he's, I guess, making some progress. We don't know what we're going to see next chapter. But notice how he starts out by saying all peoples, nations, and languages should worship the golden image. And the book is working its way to the nations, the peoples, and languages. Right now, it's just tolerance, right? It's not saying anything against God, but eventually we'll see that, or or we know from the book of Revelation that God's ultimate purpose is that all 
peoples, nations, and languages would worship him. But the thing that was an add-on, the, the thing that I wanted us to focus on is this particular phrase where it says that they yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship. We're about to celebrate communion. And in communion, we are remembering that Jesus yielded up his body in order to obey his Father. He yielded up his body. He gave his body for us, to save us. And then Paul in Romans 12, he says, therefore, I, I encourage you by God's mercies to, I need to get my quotations right. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If we want to be able to present our bodies to God as a spiritual sacrifice, we need Jesus. We needed Jesus to yield up his own body to transform our hearts. And so that's exactly what we're going to remember right now. We're going to remember the death of Jesus. We're going to remember how Jesus yielded up his body in perfect obedience to his Father to die on our behalf. God, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for his determination and his faithfulness. We thank you, God, that when he was on the cross, he didn't call on legions of angels to come and rescue him, but he voluntarily yielded up his body for us. Lord, I pray that you strengthen us, that you help us to remain faithful to you, to remember that you are the only one who is to be worshipped, that you are the God who delivers, that your kingdom is eternal, and that now, by your grace, those of us who trust in you, Lord Jesus, are members of your body. In your name we pray. Amen.